This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to the inspirational, informational, and transparent Aviation Careers Podcast. Helping me answer your questions today is co-host Robert Geyer. But before we get started, a couple of announcements. Number one, the courses that we talked about, you can find those at aviationcareerspodcast.com slash courses. There's a whole bundle of free courses. There's some paid-for courses, and we brought back what was the membership. Now it's a subscription for just $10 a month. You can get all those paid courses. Uh, there are some individual courses that are for sale uh, due to some copyright restrictions and some agreements we have with some of those authors. But the kind of things you're going to find in those courses is uh, things about doing your resume, also some technical interview questions and that type of thing. We're going to continue to update those courses. Uh, also within that is uh, aviationcareerspodcast.com slash coaching. Uh, we do a lot of career coaching and people ask me, do I do interview prep? I do. Uh, uh, I love doing the coaching, the interview prep. Uh, we get so many uh, requests for that. So that's why we uh, stick with just doing the coaching. Uh, but I've been doing quite a few interview preps. I just don't advertise it. And we do it for you know many of the regionals and many of the majors. So if you have a, a need, let us know. And uh, we might be able to help you out. If we can't help you out, I've got a whole pool of people that I send people to to do the interview prep. Also coming up is Sun and Fun in uh, Lakeland, Florida. And that's actually going to be from the 10th until the 15th. And that actually is a big event that we do. We're doing a live show and a actual uh, daily show uh, with Stuck Mike Avcast. Also, the other thing we're going to try to do, and uh, Stuck Mike Avcast, we set up that daily show. We're going to try to do, and we are going to do, a show just on careers at Sun and Fun. Because one thing we haven't been doing over the years is concentrating on aviation careers at Sun and Fun. And there's so many things that go on there, and there's so many, there's a job fair there, and uh, you can sign up for that. Uh, and that's put on by JS Firm, who's been on this podcast before. There's all sorts of good stuff. To find out more, just go to flysnf.org. And of course, you can go to this episode, 175, uh, Aviation Careers Podcast. And, and just a reminder, you can find all those links, etc. Also, if you have questions, feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. And that's actually what we're going to do today. But before we get started, uh, I'm going to welcome uh, Robert. Welcome back to the podcast. I think uh, tonight you are on an overnight, I'm assuming? Yeah, Carl. Howdy, howdy. Uh, I am. I'm in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. So oh. that is. Uh, I've been flying all day through the weather <laughs> once again. <laughs> but uh, it's been a good day. It's That's good awesome. Day, so. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah. I tell you that Tulsa, Oklahoma. I love that place. There's some really cool uh, restaurants and stuff downtown. I miss going to those. Uh, my airline doesn't fly there. My last airline did, and uh, lots of history and and lots of cool museums inside and outside that city and. Uh, oil and also uh, Native American history. So really cool place. Uh, kind of a day in my life. I have, amazingly enough, over a month off from flying. And some people ask me, how could that be? Uh, and the reason we're relating the story is just so that you understand the whole lifestyle of being an airline pilot uh, is I was able to advertise a trip. So what does that mean? I had a trip, a two-day trip, uh, that was between two weeks off and two weeks off. So I had two weeks off, had to do a two, come in for just two days and then had two weeks off. Well, what happened is someone picked up that trip and now I have a whole month, actually more than a month off so I can get ready for sun and fun and finally finish unpacking everything. I still haven't unpacked since I mo we've moved here to Lakeland. Uh, so it's been a blessing to have all that time off. Uh, I know that uh, you're probably wondering what I'm talking about, picking up trips, and then, then I'll ask uh, Robert about this. But there's different ways that people advertise that they want other people to take their trips. So when you have a schedule for a month, uh, you can actually give away that schedule to somebody else. And to do that, there's ways of advertising it. Our company uses a system. It's called Flicka. And uh, it's a system that is online that is automated so that I can advertise that someone pick up my trip and they don't have to tell me. If I want to drop a trip and say, hey, take this trip, go ahead and have at it. 
as long as I don't go below a certain uh, number guarantee, and my airline, that's how they do it, other airlines, it, it's not that way, then that person can pick it up. I can also advertise that, hey, I want to I wanna pick up something. Hey, if you got a trip on the 15th, say, I want a one-day trip or a two-day trip that starts on the 15th, I'll put that information on the board, and that all information will uh, be relayed to somebody else, and they'll get in touch with me, and I'll have a way of telling people how they can get in touch with me. Other airlines, uh, some of the regionals, et cetera, and uh, some of the majors, they have Facebook pages. Uh, I know some people even use uh, Snapchat, but uh, it's primarily on Facebook pages that they'll have the ability to advertise trips and say, hey, listen, I wanna, I'm gonna, you know, I have this trip. I want you to take it, or hey, I want to work on this Saturday. Can, can you? Do you have a trip that you have that I could have? So, so with that said, that's the way ours goes. It's all online. Uh, I can also trade trips. You know, between I, I say to someone, hey, listen, I like your trip. I want it. Maybe I'm standing next to them and I'm looking at their schedule, and we can both call scheduling and then trade our trips right there. Uh, that's not automated, but you know it's a cool little way of doing it. So, with that said, uh, before we get into the questions, uh, Robert, you know, in your airline, you have a system. I'm assuming of being able to trade trips, and and kind of tells a little bit about how that works. Yeah, so we do, and uh, most of it's online. It's actually a very, uh, very good system. We don't have uh, what we'd call uh, personal drops, where you can just call up scheduling if the coverage is good and ask, hey, you know, I don't want to go into work you know x day so can you drop the trip we don't have that but we do have a system of uh trip trading and giveaway um and you can post your trips up on a board uh electronic board and other pilots can look at it and a lot of people will either if you know they want to slide one day to the left or right you can do that uh if someone's willing to trade for you and uh, a lot of people just put their trips in saying hey you know i just wanted a straight pickup so a lot of people actually clear their schedule off, especially during the busier months where uh, they will have their whole board uh, or their whole schedule uh, completely uh, picked up, and other pilots will pick up their trips. If they, a lot of people bid real nice senior lines where their trips are really attractive, so other pilots will pick that up. And then that allows them to bid on open time, and there's a good chance if you bid on open time, especially on our busier months, that you can get it at a time and a half if uh, there's a great need for pilots and you've talked about that before so a lot of people do that and uh ends up being pretty lucrative for a lot of people i know i use it all the time where i'll if someone has a great trip i'll 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 pick it up from them um if there's nothing in open time i'll go look and if someone's advertising a trip and i need to fly for a little extra credit uh, i'll pick that up and and you're talking about you know uh if you're able to message people on your end uh on our end you can either put a pin on it, uh, so someone has to actually physically text message you to get the pin to pick it up, um, or you can, or most people just throw it out there and say, "Hey, whoever wants it can take it." So that actually bit me one time, believe it or not. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, so this is a funny story. I was a brand new guy, literally my first month um, out of training, and uh, I was uh, based out in California. And so I commute from Texas to California, and I forgot to take my trip out of giveaway. And I wake up at 5.30 in the morning, show up to the airport, and go to check in my trip. And it oh, says, no. you have no trick to check in for. Well, <laughs> guess what? Someone picked it up overnight. I forgot to take it out of giveaway, but uh, that worked out. I commuted back to Texas, and then someone was advertising a three-day that paid it wasn't as much as a four-day, but it definitely worked. And so I ended up picking up the three-day in Texas. Uh, so I didn't have to. So I kind of like got the commute out of the way at the very beginning of the trip. And then I just drove home when I was done with the trip that I picked up. So anyway, it's kind of a funny story, but uh, you got to be careful with it. But yeah, we have we definitely have a system like that. And uh, it works well. And we have it for vacation as well, too. Interesting. We trade vacation weeks. Yeah. So. So when you got that picked up, I guess there's there's a, a learning process there. Now you know that you're going to check your schedule before you get to work. Yes, yes. And you're um, going to check your that, pickup. <laughs> yes. So uh, I, after that, I made that mistake once, and every time when I'd go to commute for the remainder of my time commuting out to California, I'd make sure to pull my trip out of the giveaway uh, board before I commuted because I'm going if I'm going to make the effort to drive to the airport and go commute. I want to make sure that trip is out of giveaway before I actually head over there. So, yeah. And then the other thing you got to watch out for too is people will, um, I haven't done this, but I've almost done it. Uh, we have the ability to, like, so most trips start in a domicile and then the 
end in the same domicile. Well, our system allows you to split your trips and you can advertise certain portions of different city pairs. Like, so let's say someone commutes out of Nashville and you have a trip that bounces up to Nashville. Uh, a lot of people choose, and if they're supposed to work, maybe let's say it overnights in Nashville and you fly three legs and end up back in your domicile the next day, you can advertise uh, the last day. And maybe if there's another Nashville commuter, they can pick it up and work their way to work before they come in for their trip. So that's the other thing you got to watch because you're looking, oh, look at that day trip. It pays a lot. And then you look at it, you go, oh, wait, it starts in Nashville. I don't want to start in Nashville because then I got to commute out to Nashville and spend a night. So that's just an example. But so you got to be careful for those two things. So I think some people, when they're listening to that, might get a little confused as to why someone would want to do that. And I'll, let me give you another example, and that was a good one, is that if I'm, like, I have family in Newark, New Jersey, and so every so often uh, I will try to advertise a trip where somebody, if they want the last leg, a lot of times I do last leg from Newark back to my domicile, right, in Orlando. Yes. And I will say to them, listen, anybody wants this, we can do what, even what's called a jetway trade. I can do it like at the last minute, and they will take that from me and actually get paid to commute in, and I get to I get to hang out and stay with my family. And that's another yes. example of why you would do that. I guess that's another a good one. But there's there's many different examples as to why you would want to say you were in a city watching a baseball game and how you want to get back and and just say, hey, I you know I want to commute, and you can actually advertise that. Uh, in the advertising boards in our airline and some other places and say, hey, listen, I want to do a leg from here to here. And then um, and then you'll get in touch with the person. Um, ours doesn't have an automated way to do that. I don't know if yours does, but it's kind of interesting, isn't it? Yeah, when you get into like the last minute type trades like that, like the jetway trades, we actually have to call scheduling. But yeah, so yeah, there you go. That's um, It's, so, it's pretty cool. It just adds to the whole flexibility of, of what you can do with your schedule if someone else is willing to help you out. And so, vice versa, you know. So when people are trying to figure out what airline to go to, these are the kind of questions you want to ask. It's all about lifestyle. And, uh, for instance, you said something about uh, no personal drops. So now I can actually, if I want to, I can basically personal drop my whole month. I pretty much kind of did that. Uh, but instead, I did it for... You know, the first two weeks, I'm working the last two weeks of next month. So I have four, actually I have five weeks off. So I have all that time off because I personal dropped and I had someone else pick up my trip. So uh, we can, I can just get rid of everything if I want to. I can personal drop everything as long as I have enough uh, what we call PTO to do it. But that's a whole other discussion. And so these are the things that you, you, people ask, like, how do I know this stuff? Well, you know, that's really getting granular. And you have to talk to people and say, hey, what's your favorite thing about that airline, working for that airline? Uh, and, uh, and those are good questions to ask people. So. Yeah, anyway, good so point. Another day in the life. That's uh, and I love I love starting off with this stuff because people uh, actually we get a lot of questions from us explaining what our job was like and battling weather and stuff like that. And and sometimes I get hate mail saying, "Why are you getting five weeks off? I can't do that at my airline." Well, it's just because I played the system. That's all. <laughs> it doesn't. And trust me, it really it has the downside of the fact that I work sometimes ten days straight. I'll do two five days back to back. So uh, that can be a, the tough part of it. So it's not all fun in games. Come on. No. no. It's a give and take. I mean, it is it's a give like and take, some, yeah. You told me that when I first got in the airlines. You said some days you're going to be on top of the world and things are going to go great, and other days it won't. I remember you telling me that, <laughs> <Yeah>. actually. <laughs> that was over like 12 years that ago. That was a while ago. <laughs> yeah, God. They, uh, But you know what's funny, though? It's true, isn't it? I mean, most of the days are really good, though, I would say, right? Nine, yeah, I'd say about ninety percent. So. Yeah, I'd say it's about ninety percent. And I, you know, honestly, and this is what I really want to go back to work. I want to go fly. I just, I, and okay. So again, we're not going to go negative, but the, it is cool not having to deal with all the TSA and passengers and stuff like that. I, I'm kind of being a hermit, and uh, I'm going to little airports. And I'm, I went to the airport the other day in, in t-shirt and shorts on. And that like was so cool, you know, because I haven't done that in so long, and uh, it was pretty neat. I felt like a passenger. It was awesome. Anyway, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it is. Well, let's get on us some questions. We could talk all day about that stuff. So I know we're we are up to December eighteenth. 
uh, and it is right now March 27th, so we're kind of far behind on questions. And we do reorder some of them if it's a pressing issue. So let's get started. Here comes the first one. Let me uh, read this one and then uh, get some input from uh, Robert also on this one. I've got a couple things I'll mention. But uh, first off, he starts with uh, loving the podcast and your passion for flight. Reminds me of myself very often. Big smile. I'm 35-year-old European citizen, currently a captain on a Boeing 777. As my wife is an American citizen, we are currently looking at moving back to the U.S. for the next phase of our life. Even though I've flown plenty of general aviation in the U.S. past, this was all based on my IASA license, FAA certificate, certificated based on foreign license. I currently have an IASA ICAO Air ATP license with over 7,000 hours and several type ratings. I'm just wondering what the training curriculum would be for a guy like me in order to qualify for the FAA ATP and subsequent application process at the regionals majors in the U.S. Thanks and appreciate your effort in the podcast. Well, it's the same as before. You can get a, a, a there's a couple things, and I, I put a link on the website. It's your foreign license verification. Uh, you probably, I think, did that before, and uh, it sounds like you did. And if you're asking that question, it's, it's very similar to what you do before. It You get your license based on a foreign license, and then you have to make sure that you actually do qualify for the AFAA to be, which you probably do if you have that foreign license. And it's a pretty simple process. They say, I think, give you 30 to 45 days or whatever to get it done. It's all on the, on the FAA.gov uh, licenses website. But as far as – so that's, that's kind of the easy part. That's administrative, that type of thing, and I think you'll be able to get it pretty easily. The real question I think here is – uh, what you have to do with the airlines as far as training is concerned once you get that uh, you know license here in the US well there's not a whole heck of a lot difference uh, when you go through the training the training is the same uh, when you get on with an airline obviously it's just like when you got on with your airline and I'm hoping this is the question you're asking uh, it, you just go through the whole initial training process again and you get your type rating in that aircraft uh, and you, if you already have your type rating, you don't have to do that, but you have to be qualified to fly for that airline and pass their check ride so you can work for that specific airline. And it's, uh, it's very similar. And I know a couple of people have done this, and I know I think Robert may have had some uh, instances where he knows people have done this, maybe at his last airline when he was doing some recruiting. You may have uh, gotten this one. But there's, uh, this is happening. Uh, people are coming over to the U.S. and, and able to fly and transferring here because maybe a spouse. I have that. I'm working with a couple of people who are doing this right now. So, Robert, have you, when you were uh, at your last airline, did you have this or at the current airline? I'm going to be totally honest. I was not involved in this type of situation, so I don't know the exact nuances. Okay. Uh, so I think what what you're speaking at, at Link would probably speak better to it than anything I could say. Okay. And as far as the airlines are concerned, once you have a license, you have a license, you just go through the training. So that's pretty much similar. Okay, cool. I uh, appreciate that. And um – Let's move on to the next question. Thanks for the question. I hope that was the question you were asking. If it isn't, please uh, send feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com if I missed uh, what the purpose of the question was. Uh, next question comes in. It's about Class 1 medical certificate. It says, hi, Carl. Thank you so much for the wonderful podcast. Your wealth of information and positive outlook on the aviation industry is both refreshing and much appreciated. I'd like to ask a couple of questions regarding the Class 1 medical certificate that is required to be an airline pilot. Currently in the military... Seriously thinking of switching careers in the next couple of years at the end of my enlistment to pursue my passion for aviation as an airline pilot. My plan is in the near term to obtain a class one medical certificate uh, to see if I can pass the exam and then pursue my private pilot certificate while I finish out my enlistment. After I have my private pilot, if I'm still as enthusiastic about aviation as I am now, I plan to leave the military and continue my training at an accelerated program. I'm currently 38 years old and have a master's degree, so accelerated flight school seems like the best fit for me. Currently, I have access through the military for free corrective eye surgery, like a PRK or LASIK, to correct my vision. Barring any serious complications, can a Class 1 medical certificate be obtained after having corrective eye surgery? The question to that is yes, um, but there are some things involved. Um, and the one thing that you, you do need to do, it's on the, it's on the FA website. And if you do a search and I had the link, I can't, I don't have it up right now, but, uh, do a search under, you know, Lasix or PRK. And let me tell you one thing, um, do your research and I'll tell you why. Ask your examiner, your FA examiner, somebody who works with airline pilots and let them know specifically you want to get your class one medical. 
uh, to tell you, it's not a bad horror story, but I'll tell you a story. Some, I've had this happen in the past, people getting corrective surgery, not doing the research and realizing that they had to wait a period before they could actually get their their FA medical back, so or to continue on to get their issuance of their FA medical. And the reason being is that there had to be a certain period of time between the surgery and them being issued their first-class medical uh, that they did not know about before having the surgery. So make sure you get all that information from your FA examiner and work with them. And the reason I say that all the time is because these rules change all the time. I mean, I, you know, having had dealt with the FA and medical exams and, and going through all the process and uh, it is, it, it sometimes can be one heck of a process and something that seems simple turns into something that's very complex. In your case, no, you can get your, your first class medical. So that I wouldn't worry about that too much. Um, but, but again, obviously go to your FA medical examiner and, and tell them what you're thinking of doing, what the process is. Uh, and if you don't have one, they're pretty easy to find, but also find one that does uh, works with airline pilots because they a lot of times have a lot of experience dealing with all these type of issues. Next thing you ask is this. Uh, I also have slight suspicion that I may have borderline case of sleep apnea. If I were diagnosed with sleep apnea, would that prevent my me from obtaining a class one medical certificate. I've searched the internet for information regarding flying for the airlines, and it does seem that some pilots are authorized to fly professionally with sleep apnea, but the conditions under which they are allowed to fly seem to be pretty confusing. Some clarification would be appreciated. Thanks again for your, everything that you do, and I look forward to hearing from you soon. Okay, so on sleep apnea, yeah, you can get a class one medical. Uh, the only thing is that uh, with the sleep apnea, if there is a hint of it, uh, and if you go to your medical examiner and you mention this, uh, you will have to probably wind up paying out of pocket for a sleep apnea test, which can cost quite a bit of money. And, uh, and if you are diagnosed with sleep apnea, there, is, uh, there are certain treatments, uh, one of them being CPAP, you know, the machine where it actually pushes uh, air into your lungs uh, and you sleep overnight. You have to actually, in most cases, the folks that I know that have sleep apnea that have their class one medical, they actually have to um, um, record, and it's, it's like a, what am I trying to say, an SD card that records digitally that you've actually used the machine a certain number of nights per week, and then you have to turn that in and uh, and show that you have been using that machine. Uh, that's just an example because I, I do know a few people that have the sleep apnea. They get, have class one medicals that are airline pilots or captains, and uh, you just have to prove to them that you're using that. Again, work with the FAA medical examiner and say, hey, listen, you know what what do I need to do as far as sleep apnea and uh, what's going to happen in my future? Uh, one of the things though. I, I want to say is this, obviously, I would never say to hide anything from the FA and on your medical, and you should not, because that'll come back to bite you. If you lie on your medical, they, that's the one thing they'll, they'll deny your, that's one way to get you to stop flying is not let you have a medical. So I would say this, though, if you have any type of suspicion of this case, you might want to kind of work with your your examiner say, well, you know, what is what are the the causes of sleep apnea? What are also uh, the signs of it and the symptoms of sleep apnea, and uh, and work through that. And then you can say, hey, listen, yeah, maybe I do have this. So uh, it is an issue. Uh, we don't want people falling asleep in the cockpit, and and the one reason is, uh, or one of the reasons that they do is they don't get enough sleep at night because of sleep apnea. So uh, with that said, you know, really be careful what you say to your FA examiner or whatever. If you, uh, you know, some people kind of go overboard on, on testing, testing, testing until they find something wrong, uh, which, you know, there may not be something wrong at all. It's just that some flags get raised through all this testing that you've have, had done in the past, and then the FA asks for more information. A lot of times that's all they do is they ask for more information, whether it be a sleep study, et cetera. So, uh, so just be careful there. But if you have it, you, you definitely, once you get diagnosed, you get the treatment, everything's good to go. Usually it doesn't take long to get back, uh, back flying again, uh, as long as you comply with all those. Uh, I was wondering, Robert, do you know anybody at uh, work? I, I know a few people, maybe because I'm, I'm overweight, but that have the sleep apnea. You know, it's interesting. I was uh, when you were reading the question, I was trying to think of anyone who I knew, and I don't have any personal experience with anyone who's had it. Um, I do remember when this became a big issue a couple of years ago, and the uh, FAA kind of went—I don't know—it wasn't. A, there's like certain 
uh, what was it like? I guess. Oh, the body so, mass I guess index. Size, yeah, body mass index yeah. and all that that triggered the yeah. test. Yeah. So I don't know. I remember when that came out, and I remember thinking, like, my goodness, like they're raising the age 65 and they're doing this at the same time. It's going to be uh, <laughs> nuts with the pilot shortage. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I don't know anyone, uh, anyone personally who has had to deal with that. So that's interesting if you know people who have had to deal with it and have insight because I've always wondered how that kind of works. So, so being somebody who's diagnosed as quote unquote under their system obese, uh, it and it doesn't take much to be obese. It's based on your neck size. Uh, unfortunately, I'd been a wrestler all my life, so my neck size has always been. But even when I was skinny, I had a big neck size. Uh, so those kind of things can can spur it on. But but if you have an examiner that looks at you and asks the right question, and says, "Hey, are you getting sleep at night? Are you snoring? Does you know your partner tell you if you're snoring, etc.?" And I, I'm like, man, I get the best darn sleep ever and even though i'm overweight i don't have any of those issues so it's not just about being overweight by the way anybody can get sleep at even skinny guys like like robert here he can they can get sleep at you it does it, it it's a it's a it's a it's a condition okay so it's not just heavier people even though we're more prone to getting sleep apnea uh so the that was a little i felt in personal opinion i felt it was a little bit arbitrary just on heavier people i understand there's more of a risk etc uh but if you have sleep apnea have it uh and you just got to deal with it and uh, and move forward so no it won't stop you uh, so uh, I would say just work work closely with your examiner and find out if you do have if you do have it's a pretty simple solution there. Uh, it just might take a little while and uh, and if anybody's had experiences that they want to relate, you can write in. Uh, we'd love to interview or interview you or I could read uh, your experience. Pretty cool stuff. Really really cool stuff. Yeah, anyway. I'd also be very interested in knowing. So just for my knowledge, it's kind of interesting stuff. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Actually, the, my, my one friend that had sleep apnea also had a quadruple bypass. And that actually affected his first-class medical a lot more than the sleep apnea did. And oh, I so can imagine. They, they had open-heart surgery and uh, and then, you know, had, a, I think, actually it turned out to be three or four. I can't remember. But anyway, they put it all together, and he's working towards getting his uh, medical back. It's better to have that open-heart surgery than to actually have a heart attack. It's easier to get your medical back in that case, usually, from all the people I've, I've seen and I've heard from. See, this is the thing, Robert. You're, so, you're, you're younger, so you don't have all your friends that are having these issues yet. <laughs> <laughs> we have a we actually have a mutual acquaintance that that happened to. Yeah. Oh, I don't know yeah. If you know right. about that. Yes. So yes. yeah, that is uh, right. And I, he was not that old either. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. So, I didn't know. Aside, aside, but I didn't know you were a wrestler. I'm finding out all kinds of interesting stuff today. Oh but yeah, my gosh! So. <laughs> yeah, when I was skinny, I did. I wrestled quite yeah often out out close to where you were. I did some wrestling on Iowa and stuff. But that was That's my funny. life. Was isn't that funny how war, the life is? And by the way, if you're thinking about changing careers and all, and you think this is the only thing I can do, it, life changes. I mean, my whole life, I, I was wrestling nine to twelve months out of the year, and that's all I was doing. And then Wait, all of a sudden, what? Oh God, yeah, I was just so into it. And and then realized that there was something that I really enjoyed too was computers and uh, just went off on that and uh, got into aviation and then realized I didn't need sports to move forward in life and uh, and I could actually do it through academia and and drop the wrestling you know got into judo but not the wrestling was was that was a huge part of my life absolutely loved it uh, wrestled uh, in New Jersey did the Greco Roman wrestling and. You know, was third in the state and then went on to the nationals, that kind of thing. And I know that a lot of people I listen to are wrestlers, and they any sport that you do is great. It's great for discipline, and it's a great uh, because it it teaches you to overcome any barriers, and 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 also it teaches you that there's setbacks, and you just have to keep pushing forward. Good stuff, though. A lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> we'll go on. I got you way off topic, but I'm no, no, it's, but it, I didn't know that about you. <laughs> yeah, but, it, so but it, it's it's very it's prescient because there's a lot of people out there that do sports, and they ask me, "Hey, is, is, are sports important?" Yeah, it is. It teaches you a lot. It teaches you discipline, and uh, it teaches you so much about this career because this is a very physical career. But uh, anyway, let's move on to the next question here. Uh, Let's see. We have. Let's go back here. The oh, here we go. It says, uh, "Good evening, Carl and ACP crew. Currently at a crossroads in my career. Uh, I've tuned on to your podcast and services by a coworker of mine, 
and I've learned quite a bit from the relatively short time listening to your podcast. Serendipitously, my wife wanted to get out of the panhandle we were currently uh, living and take a trip to Orlando to celebrate the new year. During the trip, we checked out Legoland and had no idea that it was right next to Polk State College of all places. It was then that I knew that I needed to take an additional step in my career to reach out to you. Uh, by the way, Polk State College main campus is in Winter Haven. I'm over on the Lakeland campus, which is where the aerospace is. Um, anyway, uh, goes on to say that he's a, a helicopter pilot approaching the end of his service. Uh, he's getting the military competency test uh, for the instructor and receive a CFI and double I in the helicopters. And uh, it, intending to receive the multi-engine and add-on and build enough fixed wing time. Uh, to get hired by the airlines and uh, has over 2200 hours uh, of time and single and that's total time single engine time has about 180 hours and uh, 24.7 of that being turbine uh, in the fixed wing fairly certain that i have to go to the regionals first and that is not my primary concern although it is up there there's a host of information slash gouge out there with respect to which major slash legacy to work for but there doesn't seem to be a whole heck of a lot out there when it, perhaps, when it pertains to the regionals, other than general advice that, one, the landscape is never is ever-changing and don't worry about it until much closer to hitting submit on the application, and two, go to wherever is paying, compensating the most, as I would only be there for a year or two. You did have a few episodes relating to regionals to include the interview with Commute Air that were very helpful in this respect. Uh, it's interesting that he talks about that. And because, you know, as far as the advice is concerned, it, it can also, there, and we've talked about which regional to pick and how to pick that kind of thing. Is, and a lot of it has to do with where are they and in your proximity to where you are and does it work in your lifestyle, especially if you're changing careers. Uh, it continues. Another consideration that is more pressing and primary to making the transition off active duty is what to do post-military and trying to keep a foot in by joining the reserves and guard component of our armed services. So he goes on and talks about this, and uh, he has a chance to either go fixed wing or rotor wing. The question is this. Would it be a career downer, not an answer in other words, to join a helicopter unit and fly for the airlines? Most of my core cohorts suggest that it would be a waste of energy as I wouldn't be building heavy multi-engine time in both lines of work, particularly as the end goal is become a pilot with a major legacy carrier. What would your take be on this situation? Now, if you're looking at going to a regional and you're looking at staying in the reserves, yeah, of course, getting more fixed wing time is going to help. If you absolutely love fly flying helicopters, then yeah, go for that. But as far as exactly what's going to help me move on to get onto an airline, yeah, it's going to be fixed wing time. But nowadays, uh, you can go through these transition programs at, at the uh, at the regionals, and, and there's a lot of them for uh, folks that are rotary. Uh, anyway, thanks again, and appreciate all the insights and good humor you provide through your podcast and beyond. Uh, interestingly, um, and, and Robert can address this also, one of the things that, yeah, you need to build multi-engine time, and I know that you, know, you have the ability to go to 135s and C-130s and those type of things, and, and yeah, does that enhance your resume? Of course it does. Uh, if if this is something you absolutely love, you have to ask yourself that. Would you would you you know be very bummed out if you never got to fly helicopters again? You can always go other routes by being a helicopter pilot. So there's lots of things to do in this case, and of course, uh, a lot of the stuff that you're doing when you're making these decisions are very specific to your situation. And that's why I always tell people the best thing to do is uh, if it is something this specific is go ahead and, you know, look at our coaching website, you know, and so aviation slash coaching and sign up there because we can get really drilled down into the specifics of your situation. As far as working for an airline and, and working in the reserves, uh, at all, almost all the airlines are really good at dealing with reservists. So don't let that hold you back. If you really want to serve and we really appreciate your service, I would go for it. Um, just remember that right now you're, you know, you're, the clock is ticking somewhat. Uh, you're going to have a, a, obviously your retirement with the military eventually, but just remember to move forward. It's all about seniority to move forward in your career. And uh, but don't give away the, the farm. If you, again, if you have a situation, you have kids, etc. Certain things come first. And I know Robert can really speak on that. I mean, he had children. Uh, you know, there was a lot of different decisions to be made. You couldn't. It wasn't uh, when you had the kids. You couldn't just jump and 
and run and go work for any airline, could you, Robert? No, no, I couldn't. And I actually had to turn down an interview because of that. So, yeah, I understand that. I understand how that goes. So don't sound so depressed about that. I mean, it's it, it, it was kind of a good thing, though. Your family. Oh, is, <laughs> I didn't mean to sound. <laughs> so, boy. I wasn't, no, I'm definitely not depressed about it. I'm, trust me, I'm so happy how things worked out. And I know I've said that before. I, I cannot be happy where I'm at. But it was I, I was just thinking, I guess I was connecting connecting to the emotion of the of the period of time. Uh, whereas like, you know, yeah, absolutely. Um it was really it was a really hard decision, but going, this will absolutely not work with my family right now. I, there's no way I could get this to work. Even though I wanted to go to the interview, I knew that it kind of well, see, there's different philosophies about that, but I, I turned down the interview because at the time I just knew for a fact 100% that it would not work for my circumstance. And I didn't want to go to the interview and waste their time and then possibly maybe one day when it would work, try to reapply and then, you know, have having turned them down, never have a shot with the airline. So, yeah, and I, and I had to make that based off a of family decision. And we, we all do those type of things. I mean, I've made that decision myself, like where I decided to go during the regional time when I had many different offers out there, you know, I went for the one that was closest to home and I was living in the Houston area and decided to go to that airline instead of the one that I was flying with at the time because commuting was getting old. And, uh, and we all make those things, those decisions. Again, it, it's, it, you got to look at the big enchilada, not just the, the, the big shiny jet. And I know everybody just talks about money and, uh, or a lot of people do online talk about money. Well, if money is that important, then don't become an airline pilot, go start a business. You know, if, if you, if you really want to make a ton of money and, and multiply your efforts, uh, you know, then do something else. But if you really want to love, if you love flying, absolutely love flying get into it you know and it's a blast you can actually go out and start a, a part-time business while you're flying and a lot of people do it successfully um but make those decisions based on and robert's done this based on what's best for you at the time in your life because if you have responsibilities and mouths to feed that's more important than anything else it really is your family comes first and and your career isn't quite up there and and robert and you you definitely could speak towards us having having all those responsibilities. Yeah, and it, it's a juggling act, right? Um, and I was kind of curious, and it is absolutely, is, and it is hard, and it's it's that finding that right balance in life. But um, I was I was really curious about his question too about the going to the fly a you know C one thirty or KC one thirty five versus a Sikorsky in the guard and flying for the regionals. Um, I was kind of interested because I'm going. One, I think it's so cool he's a helicopter pilot for the Coast Guard. That was actually a dream job of mine. So thank you for your service, and that's that's a completely cool job. Uh, I would love to talk to a helicopter pilot who's done that and hear all those stories. Uh, so uh, kudos on that. But um, what I, is, that's kind of interesting to me, Carl. Do you think that it would maybe be more advantageous to have that C-130 in KC-135 time? Um or do you think it would matter having the military service once you meet the you know the the jet time at the regionals? Uh, do you think it would fast track him one versus the other? I'm I'm not sure. Well, if he could leave right now and go to a regional today, that would make it go faster. <laughs> yeah, because he's going to build a ton of of jet time. Uh, you know, getting but but the thing is though, looking at it, if you're just looking at the straight time, yeah, the C-130, a KC-135 would be better than actually the helicopter time in the military. Uh, but again, you have to. There's a lot of introspection there, uh, and yeah, anytime you're building, uh, you know, fixed wing time is going to, of course, be better. Yes, and I agree with that. Uh, and but I think this is something that I think a lot of people are are probably telling him right now is that, you know, hey, don't do the the helicopter thing. But they don't know him, and they don't know his situation. I mean, if it's if it's something right. you absolutely love, <clears throat> then go ahead and do it. You know, I. Uh, and and to give you a good example, and this is other career choices, you know, I, I went to a Jesuit college, and I lived with most of the priests that are going through all their vows, and people were making those decisions, like, hey, what's going to be best for me? Uh, what sh- am I being called to do this or to do the other thing? Uh, so if it's just strictly, uh, you know, based on just 
fixed wing time, yeah. I mean, that'd be great to do that. But the best thing is, you know, if you could do it today, just get out there and fly at the regionals today if you could. Uh, but yeah, also, but, I agree with that. But staying in the, re- in the reserves, because that's what it sounds like the decision is. Uh, if it's between the helicopter the, and the fixed wing, yeah, of course. Yeah, it's getting that getting that time, you know, fixed wing time is much more important, especially moving on to the majors. So, yes, yeah. I, I get your point there. That is definitely, definitely important. But anyway, great questions. Uh, and again, there's so much to drill down into in, in, the, in these specific questions. We can't do that because obviously we can't relay certain personal information on this podcast about people that are listening. But uh, anyway, moving on to the next one. Thank you for your service and thank you for the question. Moving on to the next one, it says, uh, let's see. Here we go again uh, on a medical issue. I know you've touched on medical situations in the past. Thank you. I'm about to do a class one medical to finish enrollment for ATP's accelerated program. I've been, re- and ATP's meaning the school, uh, called ATP's. I've been reading up on having ulcerative colitis and getting approved to fly. Do you have any insight on this? Or have you covered it in a previous podcast? I've listened to dozens of your podcasts, but not all. Forgive me if you have talked about this in the past. Thanks for your podcast. Has answered countless questions I've had so far in my process. Uh, there is some reference for it. Uh, actually, my dad is a gastroenterologist, uh, so I know a little bit. I'm not a doctor. He is. I know a little bit about ulcerative colitis and that I hear about it all the time. But uh, as far as the, um, uh, the website, I'll have a link to it. It talks about what you need to do. Uh, to get your medical, you, and you notice the theme here. You basically can get your medical with, with a lot of things that you feel you might not be able to get your medical with uh, conditions. I should say, you have a condition you think you can't get your medical. Well, you really can. You just have to go to the website. There's a lot of reading to do, but I will say one thing. Sometimes uh, uh, they do a great job of explaining things, which I think they do a pretty good job on the the uh, uh, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, whatever you want to call uh, it. It's a real good explanation of what you need to do going forward, and your medical examiner will help you a lot. Again, I defer always to the uh, medical examiner on all these cases. So work closely with them and, and ask them, what do I need to do? How do I move forward? in this case. So thanks for the question. And I really appreciate that. And no, I won't give a reference to my dad. My dad retired, by the way. He's no longer a gastroenterologist. He's uh, or he is, I guess you're always a gastroenterologist. He's just enjoying the retirement life. Uh, Let's see, moving on to the next question. Uh, says, Mr. Valeri, I love the podcast. I'm a military helicopter pilot transitioning to the airlines, and I've got a few of my buddies hooked on your show. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, my Rotorhead buddies and I were discussing ways to make ourselves more marketable to major airlines after spending a few years at the regionals, and the topic of college came up. Is the question, how valuable would a master's degree be in getting hired in a major airline? We suppose the obvious answer is that it couldn't hurt. However, is that the best use of our time and resources? Most of us military helicopter pilots going to the airlines have a post-9-11 GI Bill that could be used for a master's degree or even a Boeing or Airbus type rating. Which would you prioritize and why? Thank you so much for your insight. I look forward to signing up for your coaching services in the near future. Thanks for the question. And uh, the post 9-11 GI Bill, I think this year being 2018, don't quote me on this, I think it's like 22400 is what it is per year is the maximum you can use. And that can go towards a master's, like you said, or a type rating. Uh, as far as the master's is concerned, if you don't want to fly an airplane and all you want to do is be in management, yeah, I, or you someday want to move out of the airline flying into management positions, say get your MBA or get your master's in safety, go in the safety department and get away from actually flying the airplanes. Uh, I definitely think a master's degree would help. You can also do that while you're flying. As far as what I think what your real question is, is moving forward from where you are now to an airline job and you're given the ability to get type ratings, et cetera, and to fly an airplane that's going to move you on to an airline job. Uh, in my world, that would be the priority. Obviously, we'd have to look at your whole situation as a, as an individual because there might be a lot more here. And uh, But in general, uh, you know, moving forward in your career, building time is really important to make yourself marketable to the airlines. Also, there's certain airlines out there uh, that would prefer you to have, say, a Boeing 737 type rating. And uh, I'm not sure if the airline... Uh, requires it now for the interview. I have to go back and look now. Uh, But there is one or two airlines out there that used to make you have a a type rating. And I know one is a real big one at uh, 
uh, what was it, uh, Southwest that it required it. I'm not even sure if they still do. So, uh, Robert, what, any insight into that as far as uh, airlines that you might know that require the uh, type rating before you can apply and also uh, your feelings as far as his master's degree? Um, well, uh, I don't think that off the top of my head, I don't think there's any airlines that actually require a type rating anymore. Um, so my take, a lot of ro- uh, rotor guys writing in today, kind of cool. Um, my take is uh, I would do... I, I, my personal opinion is I would do the masters. And the reason I say that is it because it kind of diversifies you. Um, and I know that master's degrees on a lot of the applications, especially the point based application systems that you see with pretty much all the majors now that rank your application and, and points in the point system based on when they're going to call you. Once you hit a certain metric of points, you take the, those people on the top, put them on, on the top of the pile, so to speak, and then you bring them in for the interview. Um, I know that Masters is really high in ranking individuals. In fact, um, a certain person that I know who I used to be roommates with was one of the very first people to get on the front of the hiring way for one of the uh, a very large legacy carrier when he started hiring. And that was due in part to, I, I honestly believe there's really nothing special on his resume except for that master's degree. And I've talked to many different recruiters over the years, and they really put emphasis on having a master's degree. So just from my standpoint, and the fact that really no airline requires a type rating, I'd probably, just me speaking, I'd probably want to invest in that master's degree. And there's different things that you can do with them all. And obviously, like uh, a lot of people, like, for example, my roommate, he got a master's degree in, in safety and human factors, uh, as it, it pertains to aviation. Um, so if you want to do that, I guess you could do it on a type rating. Uh, I would say Boeing because Boeing's far superior to Airbus. Sorry, Ooh, Carl. That's just the way ouch. it is. Oh, sorry. Ouch. I couldn't resist. <laughs> ouch. <laughs> we, yeah. No. Why do you even have those yokes anymore? I don't know. Anyway, I'm sorry. I, <laughs> we, we won't digress on that one. But the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I'd have to now, and it's interesting on the counterpoint on that. Uh, okay, Air, yeah. Airboard, Airbus ratings is uh, also you, and both both Boeing and Airbus is are used overseas as far as having that type rating. Uh, when you said nobody really requires it, well, if you're looking to fly overseas, say, uh, and you're looking at those contracts that you see in China, etc., then yeah, having that Ooh. type rating is good. But the problem is, you're also going to need to have some experience in the airplane. Touche. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, they do so, require type yeah, rating. Yeah, but, but with that said, you're going to need like a thousand hours PIC also. So you're going to have to go work for an airline to do that. So as far as a U.S. airline, <laughs> uh, it's still yeah. I, I get what you're saying as far as getting the type rating. I think the other thing too that we're not we're not seeing in this question is currently your helicopter transitioning to the airlines. Uh, are you doing that for through excuse me through one of the programs at the regionals because there's a lot of transition programs now and they're hiring military folks and doing transitions to the regional with the regional airline and they're they're constantly changing those programs and giving away more so find out maybe you could you know have them pay for all this transition and if you have the time maybe even go into that program uh, making sure that you can do it financially I mean there's uh, remember that you go into these say you're making a X amount of dollars right now and you move on to the regionals a lot of times especially if you're a helicopter pilot in the military you will be taking a pay cut uh, if you need to do it on your own and you need to get your do your transition to your multi-engine etc then you might mm-hmm. be best to use that post 9-11 bill uh, for your actual training and here's where again it goes down to your specific situation yours is different than everybody else and that's the that's the you know we, we do all this is general just like you see on the internet, a lot of people say, oh, you need to do this. Well, they don't know your situation, so we need to kind of gr- drill down into that. But uh, but as far as the rankings, again, let's talk a little bit about degrees in, in general. Uh, getting on, say, with a regional. Yeah, you, I know. You can get on with a regional with no degree. There's airlines that are hiring with no degree. I get it. But as far as, as when you are looking at a pool of 10 people, and in that pool of 10 people, one person has a master's degree, 
then they are going to trickle to the top and they have i like the word you used uh, robert is waiting you know they wait the the different things you have in your background uh you have 10 people come in for an interview and you know everybody has a has a bachelor's but one person doesn't and you know it's like well there's going to be somebody says hey listen you know, this person has a bachelor's degree. Let's just kind of throw that one away. Uh, and then having the master's degree, yeah, yeah, it, it adds up. Definitely the bachelor's, uh, I would say, and it sounds like you have that, so that's not an issue. Um, anything you can do that, to move you forward is great. As far as getting the type rating, if you're thinking of doing contracts overseas, that's great, but you're going to get that type rating anyway to do those contracts. Cause, so, so let's talk a little bit about that. When does that contract become important? It's for those people who want to change a pace, number one, or number two, there's it's a downturn in the economy and they have a thousand PIC in whatever airplane and then they go over overseas and do these contracts because there's still a big shortage of captain qualified pilots a, a good example is is say in Australia in Australia they're really doing a good job of trying to recruit more first officers and they're not having a problem finding first officer qualified people it's captain qualified folks that they're looking for and uh, but that's going to change because they're being you know very progressive and moving forward with that training environment there. So so I think uh, Robert and I can agree that it depends on your situation as far as what you need to do with that uh, because I want to make sure you're most efficient with those post-9-11, uh, that post-9-11 GI Bill. And I think, like I said, it's about 22-something. I could be wrong on that uh, the last time I checked. I think it was 19 in last year. Well, anyway, it's on the Internet. Uh, I'm not going to talk at the top of my head on that one, but it's uh, or I am, but I, you should actually look that up. So it's really important to know that number. Uh, good stuff, though. Really interesting. Again, thanks for your service, and I, I'm glad all you rotor heads out there are are, uh, are listening. And no, I'm not a helicopter pilot, but uh, I have actually uh, been uh, flying helicopters and got some uh, experience uh, being able to uh, uh, you know hover and stuff like that. Well, I think that's all the questions we have for today. We're running out of time, and we do appreciate Robert uh, coming along today to help answer some of those questions. Uh, remember, if you have some kind of medical disorder, et cetera, that you want to get questions answered about, go see your medical examiner. Also, do some research on the Internet. We'll have some of those uh, links in the podcast here. Some great questions. Remember, uh, email us, feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com, feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. Also, we have the video of the week. Don't forget at the bottom of the post, it says start your career with Envoy. It's really inspirational. That's why we put some of these videos out there. Don't forget to go check them out. Uh, they're all usually on YouTube. You can share them with your friends and maybe we'll try to start uh, sharing those videos also on our Facebook page. So don't forget to go to facebook.com slash aviation careers podcast. Well, folks, one thing that I think is really important though, is if you're looking into moving forward in your career, is, is don't just sit there and keep churning. Do something, take action. Do something today, do something now to move forward in your career, in your life. And we'll talk to you next episode, Safe Flying. Can't wait to hear your questions. Again, feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although host or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.